Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're <laughs> listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Vivian Kelly. Joining us to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And our reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. Plus, coming up later... Viv chats with Seven's Chief Revenue Officer, Kurt Burnett, about the importance of the AFL to Seven's programming slate. You know, not only does the AFL Grand Final represent the epitome of sport in uh, 2019, but for us it kicks off some really interesting innovations through advertising. How the Olympics will shape Seven's 2020 offering. My Kitchen Rules will have Olympic theming through it. It's currently shooting at the moment. House Rules will have Olympic theming through it. And life with his new boss, James Warburton. You know, he is a very driven individual. Uh, he has made phenomenal change and impact. But first, the week's topics. Libra takes the crown for most complained about ad. Sam Armitage goes after the star for Woman's Day. And Admar is acquired by the Australian Computer Society. First up, Libra's Blood Normal campaign, which endeavours to normalise conversations about periods through the use of red substances on pads instead of the usual blue, and footage of a woman removing a pad in the bathroom has split consumers, with some delighted by the efforts and others going so far as to call it disgusting and vile. This week, ad standards confirmed over 600 complaints had been received about the ad, making it the most complained about ad of the year so far. These complaints have been dismissed by ad standards, though. Tim, it's not quite at the levels of the Sportsbet manscaping ad from last year, which got 793 complaints. Which ad do you think is worse? Can I choose <laughs> neither? Because <laughs> I, 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 I feel you're asking me to choose between two very, very different things. Favourite children? Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think it would be asking on the one hand to choose between something perfectly reasonable and the other sort of amoral a and kind of questionable about, you know, what it says about the world in which we live. Um, but what the whole conversation really reminds me of is almost exactly 10 years ago, I remember, mainly because I went onto Google and it reminded me, Mumbrella covering the, 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 the noise about the Kotex beaver ad. Oh, I forgot oh, yes. about that ad. So did I. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember chatting, it was done by the brand shop who, don't, who aren't around anymore at the time. And it was, it, you know, it, it, it was a woman's best friend was, a, you know, cuddly little cute <laughs> beaver. Um, and that, because of the double, the, the, the innuendo, double entendre, brought a lot of complaints, was, I think at the time, the most complained about ad of the year, or possibly the second most complained about ad of the year. And, and like this one was cleared. Um I remember a few years later chatting to one of the uh, men behind the campaign. Um, I think there were some female writers as well, but one of the one of the creators who's saying what they'd been planning on was for it to be banned because they had some sort of great follow-ups that they had all in mind. So they're actually really disappointed when Ad Standard didn't play <laughs> yeah. the game and didn't ban it. 
This time around, I'm not so sure that's the case, though. I mean, it, it feels like, wow, wouldn't it be depressing if they had found a reason to ban it? Mm. Yeah, they're certainly not doing a sports bet and deliberately creating an ad to get the publicity and PR around it getting banned. I'm sure they did know it would be controversial because the whole point of the ad is sort of saying, like, this is controversial and it shouldn't be. But even I've been astounded by the level of comments that we're getting on our website, I think probably from outside, well, I hope from outside the industry where people are losing their damn minds about it and it's really just people are genuinely really offended by it and 600 of those odd people have obviously gone and taken that to add standards. Yeah, there was a very uh, good comment on one of, I think it was the first article which was when the ad started from somebody saying is this really what people believe and somebody else had responded to it saying I think this is one of the time Mumbrella's gone mainstream and I think presumably you are right but some of the complaints have been really stretching there's claims of pedophilia in there there's all sorts of things so I have yeah I mean I saw the ad the first time and I was like this is gonna blow some stuff up but then you see some of these comments you're like people are people can really reach when they want to be offended by something I think as well it's so interesting that people are very up in arms about something that isn't very graphic. It's it's not, you know, showing the intimate details. It's I th- I thought it was pretty, you know, fine in terms of what they could have shown versus how normalized and desensitized we are to blood in other contexts you watch an action movie you go and watch once upon a time in hollywood which i still haven't watched but tim you told me that it was very gory and i've heard things since about how graphic that is there's a specific scene we yeah. own, we we, own, we only let one of the children in our household or, or young adults in our household watch so long as he promised to look away from the screen at a particular scene <laughs> did yeah. he abide they wouldn't let him in because <laughs> he wasn't accompanied by an adult. <laughs> but why are we so fine with super graphic violence involving blood, often gratuitous, but we're not okay with an ad showing red liquid on an item that ends up with red liquid on it and not this weird sanitary, clean... <laughs> dishwasher dishwashing liquid type (laughs) blue which is steeped in these really patriarchal ideas Mm. that women who bleed are unclean i have two things to that i think a it's a bodily function which not that i agree obviously i think it's ridiculous that people are so uproarious about it but i think it's a bodily function and therefore people feel a very different about it as they do to blood in other scenarios. But I really want to know, and I think you wouldn't find out unless you asked somebody who had watched it, I think maybe people are remembering it more graphic than it is. Mm. I think people are seeing this on TV. It's over in 60 seconds or however long the ad is. They're then going, oh, my God, we saw so there was blood and there was she was ripping off a pad. And when you watch it and you're preparing yourself for what you're about to see – it's not that graphic at all, but the comments seem to think it's worse. Do you know, I think you have a really good point there. And actually going back to another Quentin Tarantino film, <laughs> I, 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 Reservoir Dogs, there's a really powerful scene where a policeman has his ear cut off. Mm-hmm. And I remembered it's absolutely horrific. And so I went back and the camera actually pans away. 
at the mm. moment it happens, the whole thing actually happens in your head. It doesn't happen on screen at all. Um, but you, you know, theatre of the mind. It's the Hitchcock thing where he never showed any of the violence because people would imagine it much worse than it was on screen. And I think that might be what's happening here. I think people are going away and stewing about this ad and coming back with, oh, God, it was so graphic when actually it's not that bad. And I've also been surprised about how many women are upset about it. I thought that it would be mostly men. And there are a lot of men on there who are like, oh, I don't need to see this. But women who are like, other people don't need to see this, which is strange and feels steeped in tradition to me. I wonder whether there there is one uh, fact to think about or recognise, which is it feels like in Australia there is no settled view on all sorts of topics when it comes to when it's appropriate for children to see something. So it, it feels like one of the messages there is it was a conversation I didn't want to have with my kids yet, mm. um, which, which which probably deserves some thought. You know, I, I I remember interviewing Hugh Marks on stage at Umbrella 360 about watching uh, Married at First Sight, and he was talking about how his children watch it as a family, and I was talking about how in my house we absolutely wouldn't. Maybe it's a matter of people not being offended, but being concerned about having conversations they're not ready for. Next up, Sunrise's Samantha Armitage takes on Woman's Day staffers. So Samantha Armitage, who hosts Sunrise on 7 every morning, is no stranger to taking issue with those reporting on her. And she's back to the fight this week targeting Daily Mail and Bauer's title, Woman's Day, urging her followers to boycott them. Um, She then doubled down in a tweet saying there was a special place in hell for people who work at Woman's Day. Now, before we get into the rights and wrongs of those messages and and what was actually annoying her, Viv, um, there were a couple of discrepancies or some, some, some late edits... Yes, I actually first noticed this just as I was scrolling through my Instagram feed in the morning on the bus on the way to work and I saw her post which originally took aim at the Daily Mail, Woman's Day and News Corp's The Sunday Telegraph. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit spicy because Samantha Armitage does frequently write columns for News Corp papers. So I thought, oh, that's, you know, really taking a stand, biting the hand that feeds you. She writes a column for Stella, is that right? I think so, yes, the magazine insert. By the time I got to work and had decided, I think there's a story here just because she's really come out swinging, you know, she went so far as to say that these publications should be illegal and, you know, they're rubbish – I went on to Instagram and saw that the image had only been posted 32 minutes ago and I thought, well, hold on, I was I was looking at that at least an hour ago when I was on the bus and just saw that it suddenly had no mention of the Sunday Telegraph at all. So she'd had obviously... Had you screenshotted the original? I hadn't, but those more forward-thinking than I had, some people have definitely done it and put a big red circle around the Sunday Telegraph and pointed out that it does feel like a bit of a coincidence, if nothing else, that the one that she has the commercial relationship with is the one that suddenly doesn't need to be boycotted or involved in this spat anymore. Yeah. Um, gosh, it makes it for quite a uh, an ethical 
minefield, doesn't it? Can one take a stand selectively? <laughs> well, I guess she's she's entitled to do that, but other people have pointed out the other issue here, which is that she's not calling out properties of Seven West Media, which are also tabloids such as New Idea, which have also speculated presumably inaccurately about Samantha Armitage's personal life and her weight and all of those things that she takes issue with. So I think people just feel like it's not really an authentic stance, even though she has a very valid point that the way that the media focuses on women's weight and women's personal lives and all of that is ridiculous. But why should consumers boycott Woman's Day and why should consumers avoid the Daily Mail but not the products that her own company produces, which are very similar? I think that's why people have taken issue with this stance. I think people also are of the view that it's not even her just not calling out new idea and properties that she's affiliated with, but how problematic the show that she fronts every day is, how problematic Sunrise has been, particularly around its reporting on First Nations people, its platforming of Pauline Hanson, and how can you be so outraged about how other publications are reporting on you, but apparently sit idly by as your program is reporting really problematically and unfairly to some about other issues that aren't as close to home that don't affect you personally. Look, and I suppose where one would make the case for the defence would be, for instance, where there was the controversy over a bunch of uh, white Australians discussing Indigenous issues, causing great offence, and particularly Prue McSween, um, you could have said, well, Sam wasn't the one who made those editorial choices. She was the presenter in the auto queue. But, of course, her attack on Woman's Day against the staff. Hannah, I can see you nodding. (laughs) I'm ready to jump the table. My issue here is Sam can take issue with whatever she wants, but she has to realise, as you've just made a very good point there, that everybody working for an organisation or everybody working for a title, it's not the entire team at Women's Day aren't sitting around gleefully writing fat-shaming stories. That's not how that works. And she might be in a position where she is able to make bold choices about where she works, although arguably she hasn't done that. But there are a lot of journalists out there, a lot of people who work in media out there who don't have those choices. There are people who work for Sky News who probably wish they didn't work for Sky News, but that's just the job they've got. So I think my real issue... Did you used to work? I did. (laughs) I also used to work for Bauer, so maybe maybe I'm biased here. But I... When Viv first put that tweet about Women's Day into um, our chat page, I really thought it was faked because it just seemed so off character for her to just come slamming out like this. And then for her, she hasn't gone back on it. She hasn't said, oh, wait, sorry, I'm just mad at a couple of people and I'm having a bad day. She's like, it's still there. Look, I wonder, uh, and hey, this is always the unintended effect for that. Of course, the first thing I did when I um, saw Viv, share that internally with our team was went on to Women's Day to see what they'd been writing about and it it appeared to be and I have no idea of the veracity of the story or, or otherwise a, a story about somebody she's potentially in a relationship and and um, his children now uh, whether that sort of you can see why someone might react emotionally to um, dragging relatives people haven't asked for it into a story 
you know, you might you might see people forming that view. It's one thing when it's about me, but when you're dragging in other people, that's something different. So I don't know if that was a little bit of a final straw. Mm. And I suppose that is my one question is, are we are we fair focusing on the and I don't want to use the word hypocrisy, but sort of the, the, the double standard of attacking others whilst working for a media organisation when um, it must be pretty hard being in the public eye in an unasked for way and having intrusions on your private life. I think that's, I think that's right and I actually do support Sam's stance on the tabloids in general. I am, um, you know... I personally would never purchase them anyway, so I don't need Sam Armitage telling me to boycott them. I do think people have a point, though, that she's been particularly aggressive in saying there's a special place in hell. That's very aggressive and very targeted. It's not a general statement. And I just think that commercial relationship where she clearly had an issue with the Sunday Telegraph, that the picture that she posted on Instagram She'd thought about it. She made that image herself. She captioned it. She put it online and then to delete it. That's the part that I have the issue with where something's happened behind the scenes. It wasn't a typo. She didn't accidentally get the wrong publication. She had an issue with the Sunday Telegraph. Something's gone down and she's just tried to sneak that through. And more than anything, that's why I think people are valid in saying there's hypocrisy, not because of the content of Sunrise, but because she's no longer willing to criticise a media organisation which apparently gives her money. I've just looked up the story and they ran the same story. So it's about this rumoured relationship. So it, if that was the inciting event, then they've done exactly as Women's Day have done. And look, it's also worth acknowledging it does happen around the world. There was a a big controversy in the UK this week where The Sun, which is a news call paper, uh, went into some old history from... British cricketer Ben Stokes family from before he was born um, kind of a family tragedy and unasked for and uninvited gave that very prominent coverage and created a great deal of upset and I noticed that on Thursday morning the Telegraph here in Sydney ran the story but ran it as there's controversy over this story without mentioning the Sun newspaper by name without mentioning that it was a news core title and by repeating all of the revelations that were in the story in the first place, which felt something like a case of sort of having its cake and eating it. Next, the Australian Computer Society snaps up Adma. So... Industry body ADMA that back in the day used to stand for the Direct Marketing Association and these days is the Association for Data-Driven Marketing and Advertising has been acquired by the Australian Computer Society in the latest strange thing of many strange things that have happened to ADMA in recent years. Um, The acquisition also includes um, the former assets of the Australian Alliance of Data Leadership, the Institute of Analytics Professionals of Australia, Digital and Technology Collective and Data Governance Australia. So that's the, the that's ADMA, the AADL, the IAPA, D and TC, DGA, and of course it's not that long since they took over some of the assets of AMIA. Viv, apart from the explosion in the acronym factory, um, I, I, 
it's such a weird story, everything that's happened to Adma in recent years, isn't it? It is such a weird story, everything that's happened to Adma in recent years. Sometimes when we're covering stories, we'll get criticised for constantly going through the backlog of everything that's happened to that company and people will say X isn't relevant to Y. What you know? Why are you covering this? But with Adma, you just can't help yourself. There's so much, so much has happened. Uh, the first I sort of became aware of the changes was when their long-serving CEO, Jody Sangster, departed in March last year. Since then, it's just been change after change after change. Ben Sharp, former managing director of AdRoll, joined as its managing director. He only lasted two weeks and we couldn't Sorry, bait him. Sorry, for a moment there, I thought you said two weeks. I did say two weeks. And on a previous episode of the Mumbrella cast, we couldn't bait him on what went down. It was very obvious that something went down. but I felt he was signalling us with his eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if people could see the eye signalling we do on this podcast, it would tell a whole different story. Uh, after Ben's departure, we had the former CEO of Aussie Home Loan, Stephen Porges, come on board as the overarching CEO for the AADL. Now, tell me, that was a great hire, wasn't it? I feel like I need to tread carefully here. Look, Stephen got in legal trouble for unrelated business ventures where he was found by the New South Wales Supreme Court to have engaged in misleading and deceptive conduct and he ended up having to pay out almost $1 million as a result of that. So, look, that wasn't related to anything going down at the AADL or ADMA or D plus TC or IAPA, but... Or their reference checking. Yeah, but it obviously uh, wasn't a great look for a company that had already had so much change at the top and so many questions from the industry about what exactly it was doing. Uh, and then he left as well. So more more change for Adma. Look, and the, it's worth mentioning that Andrew Martins is well the the executive at the top of the organisation now, well thought of as a marketer, a new arrival. It's really hard to tell from this press release quite what role she had in the decision to pass on the assets or sell the assets. And I don't think we can quite tell where the money changed hands, can we? Because um, uh, for me, one of the frustrating things is we don't really know what's gone on. It is strange. It even wasn't clear when, when the news first came through to me. They very much focused on ADMA and there actually was no mention at all of the AADL, which was apparently the overarching company that held all of these industry bodies together. So I had to go back and clarify and say, well, what what does this mean for AADL? Does it exist? Is it part of this acquisition by the Australian Computer Society and I was told that AADL as a an entity will no longer exist. So the Australian Computer Society has bought AADL's assets, which include all of the you know the acronym factory essentially. But any sort of, and I'm not saying they, the the AADL owes money or anything like that. But any any debts or anything else is left behind because they're only buying the assets. They're not taking on the responsibilities of the company. That I do not have an answer for for you there. They obviously they wanted this news to be taken as a positive, so the news that they did put out to the market was very much about how this is turbocharging things. And I think they used the phrase "it's a shot in the arm for data driven businesses." You know, it's all positive. It sounds like a vaccine or like <laughs> getting a needle at the doctor. Yeah. That sounds terrible. What um what does the Australian Computer Society do? Another excellent question, Tim. Uh, look, I'll be honest, 
I don't know. My favourite thing from the comment thread was when someone mentioned that was nice try, robots. <laughs> <laughs> so the Australian Computer Society is the professional association for Australia's ICT sector. So essentially an industry body has bought a whole bunch of other ICT, industry bodies. Hang on, I can get this information, communications, technology. technology. Is the C communications or computer? Computer would work, wouldn't it? Oh, isn't it embarrassing that none of us know what one of the billion acronyms mm. stand for? I've got a funny feeling that F- Mumbrella Alumni Paul Wallbank actually works for the Australia Computer Society. Is that right? Yes, I, I believe he does work there. Um, he obviously wasn't wasn't my source for this story, but I would definitely, we would probably benefit from having him on here to find out exactly what it all means because at the moment, as is probably quite clear from this discussion, I'm really not sure. But well, I wonder if they are over there at the Australian Computer well, Society. Social media followers of Paul Wilbank will be where he's been, currently been on holiday this week. So uh, he had a lovely time in Hawaii, but uh, wasn't involved in this announcement. <laughs> Next, Vivian talks sport with Seven's Chief Revenue Officer, Kurt Burnett. I'm joined now on the Mumbrella cast by Seven's Chief Revenue Officer, Kurt Burnett. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you. Now, Kurt, we're in a very busy time for media, for television, and in particular for Seven. We're recording this in September, just ahead of the AFL Grand Final. You guys have a new CEO. We're in your new offices. It feels like a lot's changing But the one key thing, no matter what, that Seven needs or that any media company or indeed any company needs is revenue. So what are you looking forward to next year in terms of being Seven's chief revenue officer? What are you hoping to achieve in 2020? Well, like any good chief revenue officer, as you rightly point out, it uh, it, it is about the revenue. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, well, first of all, the grand final, which is, as you rightly say, in a couple of weeks. I mean, that kicks off for us, which is going to be an enormous quarter to end the year, uh, October, November, December. Uh, the grand final will be, you know, one of the most watched, if not the most watched event of this year. Um, we'll be broadcasting that and putting it through connect televisions. Uh, incredible integration, actually. Something that we've been working on for the last few years with the AFL is trying to make that the Super Bowl of Australia and getting creatives and advertisers to produce ads just for that event. And when you've got an event of that magnitude where it's reaching four or five million people across the country, people are willing to do that. And you will actually see some creative messages uh, across that particular day where they are just made for the AFL. And that's the sort of event and moments that we want to continue to create. I mean, yes, it helps create revenue, but it creates longevity and continued success for advertisers. So, you know, not only does the AFL Grand Final represent the epitome of sport in uh, 2019, but for us, it kicks off some really interesting innovations through advertising and, of course, launches into the back quarter where we launch some of our new formats, new shows, Secret Bridesmaids Business, uh, Zumbo, The Real Dirty Dancing, um, supported into our very, very strong Sunrise News leadership. And, of course, pretty much straight into the cricket. We hand from the AFL Grand Final into the uh, into the women's test matches kicks off. And so that's something that um, is very important for us now. We are the home of cricket. 
and um, that just seamlessly drives into 2020. And speaking of the cricket, in recent weeks, you've watched your competitor Nine and indeed their multi-channel gem do incredibly well by hosts, uh, by broadcasting the Ashes. Now, as much as it must have been disappointing for you guys to see them getting great ratings and great engagement, it must have also made you f- really look forward to Seven Summer of Cricket, knowing that it can do so well across both the primary channel and the multi-channel. Yes, I was. we were all absolutely delighted to see Nine with those ratings. We were. And, and I have to say that, you know, that uh, the work that we're doing with uh, 7, 9 and 10 and Foxtel on Think TV, you know, we, when we see, yeah, we're competitive, of course we're very competitive, but to see those numbers on the cricket is great for television. You know, it shows that TV can still draw big crowds, new crowds, new people um, on big events and the Ashes was a great success. And that is uh, currently our greatest promotion for our summer of cricket. So we've been wrapped with that um, for getting Steve Smith, Dave Warner and the team back to Australian shores to face uh, Pakistan and New Zealand uh, is just phenomenal. The And the uptake accordingly, in fact, what's interesting is that I think the uptake of our summer of cricket actually increased during those Ashes series. So it just shows that there has been a great knock-on effect and um, – you know, we uh, we were very pleased to see those numbers. So shout out to Nine for helping you get the job done for your summer of cricket indeed, then. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Working together, power of television, <laughs> Think TV, see, it works uh, in all different ways. And after that, in 2020 as well, you're obviously broadcasting the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and you guys are going to get huge numbers for that. There's just no doubt about that. And I'm sure it will be cross-platform as well. It won't just be on linear television. You'll have people tuning in on the app. You'll have people streaming and and all of that. That is only two weeks of the year though. So how do you use the momentum from the Olympics and the goodwill you get from audiences and from brands and turn that into a, a longer-term thing for 2020, not just the few weeks that the Olympics is on air? Yeah, well, it's um, it's going to be a big year in next year, and that that cricket, the summer of cricket, which starts this year, hands over to January next year. There's actually a shortened uh, season with uh, the Big Bash. Uh, went for too long last year, we felt, and I think Cricket Australia felt the same way because we've all come together to work to a more sh- shorter, sharper season. Uh, finals in prime time. In February, effectively hands off to the AFL women's, AFLW, uh, it's straight into the AFL season, which leads, you know, the middle of that is the Olympics, then hands off again into the AFL and into the next year's cricket season. So there's this content spine that we have of cricket, AFL, Olympics, AFL and cricket with our very strong and, and leading news service. So the way we think about the Olympics, though, is definitely not more uh, just uh, the 17 days. First of all, it's 30 days because we have the Olympics and the Paralympics. You know, we're very proud to be the broadcasters, the exclusive broadcasters, again, of uh, the Paralympics. And that's a very important part of our, of our story because the 52-week proposition of the Olympics, which effectively has started now, is about – us, the seven brand, getting into the community as well uh, in terms of talking with grassroots, um, athletics, uh, working with our uh, sponsors of not just Olympics but also cricket and getting into that community-based uh, component of, of, of branding. So for us, the Olympics 
uh, and sport is not just about the advertisers. Of course, that's a very important part of it because they're the ones who invest with us. But it's about the seven brand. We believe in the Olympic Games as a brand. We believe in the cricket as a brand because that's where we put our brand next to. So for this notion of 17 days of the Olympics is not true. Um, in, it is how we look at it and how we even talk to advertisers. We've got a number of advertisers already uh, committed to the Olympic Games. Uh, in fact, it's the biggest take-up that I've ever seen. This is my uh, 12th Olympics. I've worked on many, many Olympics, and including Sydney 2000. Uh, this has been the fastest take-up of Olympic Games that I've ever seen. Uh, and the reason for that is, one, of course, it's an hour time difference. It is Tokyo, the home of technology, and uh, there is a great affinity with Australians and Japan. But the other reason is this is a 52-week proposition that we're presenting to our advertising partners. It starts with that community-based uh, we're working with the government on, um, not sure if you've seen it, a Find Your 30, which is to get people active or using our own talent to get uh, people active in the community. Um, so we're working on that side of things. So there's a whole lot of elements that run to it, that run the Olympics through the entire part of uh, the entire year of 2020. My Kitchen Rules will have Olympic theming through it. It's currently shooting at the moment. House Rules will have Olympic theming through it. There's a number of Olympic specials. So they're going to add to the lead in and the lead out of the Olympic Games. It is a 52-week proposition. And I guess one of the great things about the Olympics is the emotion that people attach to it and the emotion that they attach to sport in general. That can also be a bit of a risk, though, in that when consumers are so emotionally invested in something, they're far more likely to arc up if they don't like the way something's done. So whenever there's a major sporting broadcast, you're going to get some backlash for what you chose to show or how you commentated about something or the ads that interrupted the program. So how do you navigate that when people are so attached to this entity that is the Olympics and really want to engage with you but not encroach on it too much that they get annoyed at the brands being associated with it? Yeah, that's uh, a constant battle that we have that we try to perfect and uh, I think that's a, uh, you know, it's 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 a, becoming harder to um, be able to do that because there is this notion of, you know, less interruptions given the Netflixes of the world who where there is, you know, an expectation of less interruptions. So that's something that we're constantly trying to think about and how we deliver a better customer experience. As it relates to the Olympics, um, you know, we will be presenting that in the, in the way that means very much or very much of a least interruption through shorter ad breaks. So basically – You'll have 30s, 60s uh, in solace breaks. Uh, when this the Olympics launch with our app, you will have 40 different streams. You will be able to see every single athlete, every single sport. The broadcast uh, service will deliver two channels across 772, which will be effectively 24-7 Olympics. Uh, but, of course, that's when that notion comes in that you talk about, well, that's not what I wanted to see. But the message will be, if you don't like what you're seeing on 772, go to 7 Olympics, which is actually inside our 7 Plus app, which is very different to how we've done it before. So when you go inside there, you'll be able to see every single sport that you uh, choose, every single athlete, every single country. And inside that will be a very much reduced ad component. Lots of solace breaks, lots of periods of no breaks, 
Uh, the targeted ads will be through there. So the messaging that you get served will be uh, very relevant, very contextual placed. Um, all of the advanced advertising opportunities that exist now and for the future will be part of those games. So this will be the most technologically advanced Olympic Games ever delivered in this country. It will also be, by the way, the biggest Olympics ever delivered in this country by way of audience. So that is bigger than Sydney 2000, which is saying something because that was an enormous Games in itself. But just by the very nature of the way we're delivering it um, will mean more people, more Australians will see these Olympics than ever before. And the messages uh, and the reason for the advertisers signing up so much because they get the scale of it, but they also buy into that very good point that you make around the emotion. People are excited to see the win. They're, they're in tears because their athlete has lost or their country hasn't won the medal. But these are moments that advertisers want to be next to. We know exactly when the swimming will be. We know exactly when uh, Sabre Norris, who is this young um, female skateboarding superstar, is going to be going for her you know, her medal, you know, how do we put moments next to that? The next, you know, the 100 metres, we know when that's going to happen. So we, it's these magical emotional moments that we connect brands to that it's a very rare opportunity that you get that chance. So it sounds like it hasn't been a very difficult sell to brands then to get involved in Tokyo 2020 with Seven. Oh, it's been incredibly difficult. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's only great salesmanship. No, it's, it, look, it, it has been one of the... Um, I mean, I, I have, I'm a particular, I have to admit, I, I am a Olympic tragic. Um, I'm very passionate about sport in general, but particularly the Olympics for what it stands for. Uh, but but yeah, I don't want to say it's been the easiest sell, but it's <laughs> certainly been one of the, the most pleasant sells because it's not even a sell. It's, it's a working with like-minded brands. Um, bearing in mind that the first, you, we have an obligation to go to the official sponsors, first of all, which we've been going through those windows. Of course, they've already bought into the idea of the Olympics. Um, so, you know, it's it's actually not selling. It's working in tandem in partnership with these customers to work out what it is that they're trying to achieve in their association with the Games. We're a team sponsor. We sponsor the Olympic athletes and the Paralympics and the and the Olympics, and so are some of these other brands. So we're talking about how do we get into schools? You know, how do we create a connection uh, to get people moving and, and active again? Yeah, they, we, we're solving business problems with a association with an Olympic broadcast and digital sponsorship. That's that's special. That's powerful. That's that's why I'm in the job for that sort of stuff. So, you know, easy, but more enjoyable, much more enjoyable. <laughs> so, look, even if the uh, Olympics was an easy sell or, or a challenging sell, one of the things that's been said about the media market lately is that it is receding a bit and it's getting quite difficult, increasingly difficult for media companies to convince brands or marketers to part with their money or there's less money to go around. How do you navigate a market like that and continue to generate revenue when perhaps there's just not as much for everybody to take a slice of? That is a constant challenge. I mean, this will be – next year will be 30, 30 years in the industry and 30 years with seven. And uh, I can tell you back 25 years ago, the same issue was around in the sense of – I mean, different issues, but as far as it relates to the economy, those issues have not gone away and they'll never go away. Uh, I think we are in a in a pretty difficult time at the moment. Economy 
wise. Um, the the objective is obviously just to make sure that you deliver the maximum amount of audience that you can, the most amount of effectiveness, and be relevant to your business partners. In this case, the advertisers and the the media agencies, be relevant to their business that actually makes a true uh, positive impact for you know that that company. Uh, the economy will move up and down around that. That's not something we can control, but what we can control is what benefits we provide to our customers. So that is that is all that we are able to do. Things like the Olympics could not have come for us at a better time because for us to be at the position we're at with the Olympics, we will be sold out of the partner sponsor level by the end of the year. That's unheard of. And it's more of a commentary in the sense that the economy is where it's at. What that says is that the business are confident in the proposition that we've got on the table, but also that you know 2020 may not be the train wreck that perhaps <laughs> some people think that it might, because there has been commentary around you know what will 2020 look like, uh, and and for us, I mean you know we we we're like everyone else, you know it's, it's crystal ball type stuff, but to see those sort of commitments to that magnitude coming from some of the brands that we're seeing says to me that, you know, there is confidence in 2020 for the right product. Now, Seven has a new CEO being James Warburton, and I was speaking to somebody at a lunch the other day, and they said to me, you know, a lot of people are just really excited about what James might do. You know, it's like a community watch group, what will James do next? But one of the things that somebody said to me was, James just needs to leave Kurt alone because Kurt and his sales team are so good at what they do. I hope James just leaves them alone and lets them keep doing what they're doing because in this difficult market, they've done really, really well. So I'm sure that that's great to hear for you. That, that people <laughs> this was this was not somebody who works at Seven, so they're just dishing out <laughs> Kurt compliments over lunch. Well, I'm very flattered <laughs> to hear that, and the team but, is very good. Yeah. Uh, what what does it feel like for you to have a, a new CEO? Are you just going to keep doing what you're doing? Does it change anything for you or are you just, you know, out there trying to generate revenue and seeing what happens next? Well, I mean, yeah, it changes everything for me, but that's media. You know, I, I would not have been in this job as long as I have been if I wasn't changing and the team wasn't changing constantly in the what we do and what we think. Now, that not, might not be obvious to the market every single day, every single month, but of course, uh, change is a constant in this, in this industry. And so, you know, it, it, it is a big change. I, I've worked with James for uh, a number of years when he was here previously. He promoted me through the business. We have a very good working relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to have him part of the business. And, um, you know, he is a very driven individual. Uh, he has made phenomenal change and impact, uh, which will become apparent over the coming weeks. Already some really exciting things happening. And, uh, you know, it's it's been it's – been, um, exhilarating actually to be part of uh you know part of the whirlwind that is james in in the positivity of that it's it's been great now listeners um obviously don't have access to to footage podcasting being audio medium but i can tell you that kurt's face then lit up when he talked about these changes that are coming down the line so i suspect i won't be able to get him to tell me what they are but it does certainly feel like change is afoot for seven speaking of next year 2020 
what program are you most looking forward to watching on seven? What what excites you about what you've got going to air? And you can't say the Olympics because I already <laughs> already know you're looking forward to that. I've declared my hand on the Olympics, haven't I? <laughs> well, there's there's a couple of things. There's actually there's a couple of things that I can't talk about, which we will be releasing at the <laughs> at the All Fronts on 23rd of October this year. Um, so uh, that was a plug there. Just yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, there, I'm, I'm very excited about a couple of the big shows that uh, we'll be announcing there, but the shows that I can talk about, uh, the drama, Between Two Worlds, it was a show that we spoke about uh, last year actually, but that's going to be, uh, we're launching Secret Bridesmaids business in the next few weeks, uh, coming out of the uh, the AFL, real, really qu- good quality drama produced by Seven Studios, uh, and Between Two Worlds, equal to that, that launches next year. I'm really excited about that. I mean, you can't integrate into it, but it's just great storytelling and that's what makes good content. In fact, you know, sport is great storytelling. Uh, and so f- as a drama, that that's a show I'm particularly looking forward to. And um, and there's a couple of other dramas that we're going to be adding to that too. That's, I mean, I, I mean I, I'm a lover of content. I love film and I love television as in, you know, drama, television. So that for me is something I'm particularly excited about. And I was speaking to Angus Ross Sevens, uh, chief programming guy the other day and talking to him about just how much it's coming down to the wire this year between the Seven Network and the Nine Network in terms of winning the ratings year. And at the moment, Nine is ever so slightly ahead. But Angus was saying, you know, don't write us off. It's not over yet. We don't come into work to, you know, to not keep trying and there's still time left to go. What about you? Do you think you guys can get it across the line or is it too close to call? I haven't really been thinking about I have to be honest, I have not been thinking about it in that way. I mean, the way that, uh, you know, me and, uh, and, and the team are thinking about things is, you know, what have we got coming up that can help deliver for advertisers and ideas and, you know, pre-Christmas and retail and, and that's really where I focus, ideation around integration and short term and long term. The market's very short, so it's a very short term focus. In terms of where we, where we end up, look, you know, it, it is what it is. We'll end up, you know, where we, where we, where we do. I, the conversations now is about going forward next year. I mean, last year we were number one. In every single demographic, you know, we were the most watched. Uh, Nine have had a terrific year this year. They have. They've been strong, um, and uh, you know, they've done a they've done a great job. So, next year is where we're focusing on. It's going to be a very very close race this year. Of course, it is, um, and we're going to have some you know good wins in there, and so will nine and even ten will have a couple of you know pockets of goodness here and there. Uh, that's great for television. But where our focus is is going to be you know next year because next year. Uh, you know, we are coming out with very big swings, very big plays that will all unfold very, you know, very soon to um, to offer advertisers and media buyers a much uh, stronger proposition and an easier decision to, uh, to, to come our way. And whether that involves number one or not remains to be seen. But um, there's other factors that will come into that, and, and as they should, as they should. All right, Kurt Burnett, Chief Revenue Officer for Seven, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And just before we go, stick around for a couple of minutes. My colleague Adam Thorne would like to tell you all about our new podcast series. 
Hello, my name is Adam Thorne and I'm Mumbrella's Bespoke Editor. Now, this week, in addition to the Mumbrella cast, we're broadcasting a new podcast series sponsored by Corporate and curated by Mumbrella called The Messy Middle of Marketing, which investigates how you can best respond to the rapidly evolving customer journey. To find out more, visit its homepage at mumbrella.com.au slash the messy middle of marketing. That's mumbrella.com.au slash the messy middle of marketing. But for now, here's a quick preview view with Hexagon PPM's Andrew Storia, who's discussing why you should ditch for sales pitch in your B2B content. Product agnostic content is what, what everyone wants now. Mm-hmm. People are, are too far down their own buyer journeys to, to need you to come in and say, this is the product you need to buy. Mm-hmm. That's the decision that the B2B committee is making, right? And they're not just looking at you, they're looking at your competitors as well. So the actual infiltration, well, that's probably the, the wrong choice of words, but the way to actually convince people is to be open and transparent and be like, look, this is the, we know what we're talking about and it's not our products that will solve your problem. It's us as a company that can help mm-hmm. you solve your problems. And so that's creating content, which is product agnostic and just actually looks at, you know, we are the experts. We know what we're talking about, that kind of stuff, as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, look at these features and benefits of our product. That's what solves your problem. It's not. It's, it's the information and the expertise. And apologies for the way, by the, by the way, for all the jingling I've been making throughout this. I've suddenly realised this annoying jingling in the background is my name It's badge. you, Tim. It is you. I didn't You're realize the jingle. We're recording this backstage at the Mumbrella Publish Conference, and I've been looking around for what it was. For the culprit. <laughs> and it was me all along, so apologies for that. Um, now, that is about it for this week. If you are in the first 10 years of your career, then please don't forget that the Mumbrella Next Awards are now live for entries whichever bit of the media marketing world you work in we would like to recognize your talents take a look at umbrella.com.au forward slash next awards now enter by the end of this week by friday to save money on your entry fee otherwise you've probably got like another week or something like that to get your entry in uh, and we would love to see it but that is it for this week thank you viv thank you thank you hannah thank you thank you Brittany. bye to the pick. 